turn now to uh, consider the word of God, pray for your guidance and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read from verses 18 to 25. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it When you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to you, sorry, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin nor deceit was found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Last week we uh, looked at submission to government, and it's not my favorite subject, I'm going to admit. Okay, but it is important, the Bible does have something to say about submission to government, submission to masters, submission to husbands, submission to the will of God, submission of children to parents and so on. These are important facets and hierarchical uh, structures that God has built into uh, society, at least a society as he wants it to run, a society that will uh, best reflect in a fallen world what uh, God wants to see. So there is a form of submission to government that we covered last week. Not this, just the people you, you uh, voted for, but even the government you didn't vote for. Of course, people in Peter's time didn't vote at all. They just had to put up with whatever government was, uh, was in power. And in Peter's later years, that was the government of Nero. So we start off here, you see, in this uh, section on submission dealing with the reality of the fact that we may have to submit in to, sorry, to authorities who are less than perfect, less than ideal. And we need to remember that as we go through. So he moves on and he addresses now slaves, servants, In the main, he's talking to them in verses 18 through 20, and then he goes on to the example of Jesus Christ, who himself is a servant of the Lord. But we do need to 
look at this issue, therefore, of slavery. And I think the best thing to do is to just give an overview of slavery in the Roman world and then maybe to say something in the second point about why the Bible does not come out and speak these revolutionary words to say slavery is wrong, stop, you know, don't uh, escape from your slave masters, you're free in Christ and, uh, you know, denounce slavery in uh, very clear terms. Why doesn't the Bible do that? We need to at least address that question briefly this morning. First, firstly, though, slavery in the Roman world. We, uh, we don't have an absolute um, clear number on the amount of slaves that there were in the Roman or the Greco-Roman Empire. But Estimates range from about two-thirds to at least a quarter, and that's, I think, very conservative. It's probably closer to about a half to two-thirds of people in the Roman world were slaves. That means that they were bought. That means that they uh, did not have a freedom to go where they wanted to go, to work where they wanted to work, to do what they wanted to do. They were owned, and they had to work where they were put. The worst kind of slavery was, uh, well, uh, usually it was punitive, was uh, working in mines or places like that. And uh, if you were working in mines, you were almost certainly, that was a death sentence for you of hard labor. And that did happen, but it was usually done for punitive reasons, okay, for people that had rebelled against their masters and so on. Still, very unpleasant. Then there was working in agriculture, in the fields and so on, for the landowners. That was not a particularly nice uh, way of spending your time. Um, Usually slaves in the countryside were treated worse than slaves in the city. They were worked harder. They had less comforts. Uh, They were exploited more. Then slaves in the city, household slaves generally, were involved in all kinds of things in the household. This could be from actually like cooking, uh, going shopping and ordering the, the home. And in a large home, they... A slave could be uh, put over the tutelage of the children into adulthood. They could be given uh, nice clothes to wear, good food to eat, and a certain amount of authority. Down to those that would just uh, do the kind of the heavy lifting in the home. Uh, all kinds, men, women, children would be sold into slavery. Women very often, not all the time, but you can imagine, women would sometimes be exploited sexually. Sometimes children would too. So a lot of evil, a lot of uh, uh, things that went on in the Roman world in the name of slavery was wrong, was wicked, and even... The writers and thinkers of the day acknowledge that. 
So there was a lot of writing saying that slavery is a necessary evil. That's kind of how people viewed it in the days, as a necessary evil. They would acknowledge that the slaves were human beings, like they were, but they were, just didn't have the kind of the same status. And status was all important in the ancient world. Um, slaves also, though, could be treated well. And it was usually, though not always, it was usually the case that you would treat your slaves well. Can you think of a reason why you would treat slaves well? You would kind of give them decent clothes to wear. You would feed them fairly well. You wouldn't overwork them. They'd work harder, exactly. If if you looked after them, they would be more healthy. They wouldn't get sick as much. They wouldn't be as resentful of you, so you'd get more out of them. So it was often that uh, slaves were treated fairly well. I mean, for slaves, they still had no freedom, but they were given rest. They were given uh, fairly decent places to to live, uh, certain freedoms. They were usually fairly well fed and well clothed. But you could always have the austere master, plenty of money, but just didn't want to spend any of it, who... uh, would give them, say, one cloak and one piece, one change of raiment per year. And then would feed them as, you know, as little as he could feed them while still expecting work from them and would often overwork them too. There was even manumission. There was even uh, letting slaves go after a while because, uh, again, this was an economic thing. If a slave was constantly sick, or infirm, or if they were getting older and you couldn't get as much work out of them, it cost more to take care of them than it did to just set them free. Not that setting them free would be that fantastic in the Roman world, because what would they do? You know, they couldn't go to college to learn how to be a senator. I mean, because of the class system, do you see? So... Because of the structure of the ancient world, because it was hierarchical, because it was non-democratic, slavery was viewed as just one of those things that was necessary for society to function. Peter here, in addressing slaves, therefore, and the Bible generally in talking about slavery, does not get into the political implications of slavery and does not get into the um, rights and wrongs of it. It is assumed, based on the teaching of Scripture, that everyone is born with the image of God. Now, if everyone is born with the image of God and God loves everyone and and, uh, God in the Old Testament tells people to respect the foreigner and to do good to the stranger... That would be enough in and of itself if people carried that through to stop slavery. The value of the human being, the fact that we have to answer to God for the way we have been, and the commands from God to love our neighbor. Those are basically the pillars upon which slavery in the Western world was eventually abolished by, in the main, Christians the power of uh, 
the uh, Christian testimony through William Wilberforce, John Wesley, and other people like that, uh, had that, uh, that effect on the consciences of people to prevent slavery. Not only did they prevent slavery, by the way, but the British Empire would stop, would not do business with slave nations or nations that still had slaves. Okay, so they wouldn't do a great deal of business uh, in uh, the 18th, 19th centuries with America because America had slavery still. They would pay tariffs. They would actually intercept ships as well that were carrying slaves and free the slaves. Okay, that's, by the way, the reparations. That's the proper reparations, yes, trying to do good to stop not just saying we, we won't have slave, but to stop the slave trade altogether. Okay? That's proper reparations, I would say. But not getting into the mire in that too much. Uh, America, of course, has some guilt hanging around it because uh, it permitted slavery for much, much longer and uh, even had this uh, corrupt teaching that the uh, Africans and so on, that they were like lesser people. This particularly, by the way, became a problem after the theory of evolution got its claws into everybody's thinking. And you can see this in Darwin. You can see this in the title of The Origin of Species. You can see it in uh, many of the uh, museum exhibits and so on that were going on in America. Many of the thinkers of in, the, uh, in the sciences in America very clearly said that, they, that uh, the black man was inferior to the white man. That was on the basis of the theory of evolution. Before that, that was not the teaching. After that, that was the teaching. You can understand why. Yes? Different races. That was the idea. And we still speak of different races today. Does the Bible teach it? No. There's one race. There's one human race. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you were born. You're one, there's one human race. One blood. Man was created through. And therefore, therefore, doesn't matter where we come from, what the color of our skin is, we are all equal in God's sight. According to biblical teaching, this again was uh, brought out, it was realized, once it was realized and got into the public conscience, that's when slavery stopped. An evolutionistic worldview would not be a worldview that would stop slavery. Okay. So there's slavery in the Roman world. Peter faces that reality. This is point two. Peter faces that reality. He says, submit yourselves to your masters with all fear. That is respect. A lot of slaves were known for their disrespect of their masters. Would you believe it was, it was quite common. Not only to the good and gentle, and there were quite a few of those, but also to the harsh, and there were quite a few of those. For this is commendable 
If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. So it is acknowledged that a slave can suffer wrongfully and have a miserable time of it. What the Bible teaches, as well as those principles that we've just covered, is that if you're in that situation, you have to deal with it the best that you can as unto God. You do it for conscience sake. Because that's just the reality. Christianity is not an armed uh, religion. It's not like Islam. So it's not a, a call to take up arms and go and kill people and spread its message that way. It's a message of love. It's a message of, uh, of uh, fellowship. Because it is that, because it is, uh, it comes from heaven to this cursed earth, that means that it must address unfair and cruel situations in um, the spirit in which it was given. Which means that, yes, there's unfairness, folks. Yes, there is evil that may be inflicted towards you or others that you know. How you respond to it is the important thing. How do you deal with it? How do you face the reality of it? And as I say these words, I'm just like Peter appealing to your conscience. So what is your conscience saying to you on the basis of your relationship to God? God knows that you might be putting up with something that's wrong or that that is unfair. He knows that. He acknowledges that. Now, how are you, how am I going to respond? That's the key. Because God is looking for our response, our right response. To him. So the the, uh, the slaves were told to face the reality in which they God's providence had put them, and be good and do good for conscience' sake towards God. Verse twenty says, "For what credit is it if, when you were beaten for your faults, you take it patiently?" Well, it's better to take it patiently, I suppose, and and just uh, take the punishment in a stoical way than to uh, start moaning and groaning about the punishment. But at the, at the same time, you're the one who brought the punishment. So it's, it doesn't give you any credit, do you see? Because you, you're just getting what you deserved anyway. But if you are beaten wrongfully, if you're treated wrongfully, by your masters in this imperfect world, or can we make a, a application here, by your superiors at work or by your, the politicians that are, uh, are over you, make decisions for you. If that is the case, then you are to respond 
in the right way. You are to take it patiently. Acknowledging, yes, it's wrong, but I'm still going to take it patiently. I'm still going to do good in that situation. Why? Because this is commendable before God, verse 20. This is commendable before God. Why is it commendable before God? Because God likes to see you go through the grinder every day. Is that the kind of God he is? Sometimes, you know, our suffering, our difficulty can persuade us that, yeah, this is like, this is the kind of God you are. You just enjoy this, you see? You've stuck me in this situation. So I guess, you know, this is okay to, with you. No, it's, don't, don't believe that lie. It's not okay. God knows it's not okay. But what is commendable is to put up for, with it for his sake and do good. Be what you can be for Christ for the sake of God. Now there is uh, a silver lining to this, which I'm getting to. But you've got to put up with the reality of it. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you walk by faith, not by sight. It's the only way to do it. Folks, God is there. God sees. He does see. Okay? He saw the woman putting the two mites into the offering when no one else did. He saw, uh, I've forgotten his name, Nathaniel, under the olive tree, or whatever tree it was, before Nathaniel knew, knew about him. God sees. He saw Hagar in the wilderness as she was cast out. He sees. We may not feel that he sees. It may not seem to us that he sees. Because we can't see him seeing us. But he sees. And faith tells us that. That's true. That's, that's real. And therefore what I do, he sees too. My right response, my faithful response, he sees it. And it will be acknowledged. And so from dealing specifically with slaves, Peter goes on to the example of Christ. Because Christ was, in a sense, God's slave, God's servant, his doulos. He's called the servant of the Lord in the book of Isaiah. Verse 21 then. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Remember, he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Uh, you have to, when you read the Gospels, you have to put yourself in Jesus' situation. The rejection, the constant rejection, the constant questioning of his, of his motives, the evil speaking everywhere that he went. People saying, he's doing, yeah, well, he does these things because the devil's with him. The rejection, the unbelief of people who should believe. The encountering of pain and sorrow that had been brought upon people by sin and by the inhumanity of other people. 
Christ is the example. He suffered. He suffered not for himself. This is the thing. For for us. He suffered for us. Leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, which cannot be said of any of us, nor was deceit found in his mouth, which also cannot be said of any of us. And so Jesus understands the unfairness of the world. He understands that things are wrong and that things are painful and that things that ought to stop don't stop and won't until Jesus returns and then they'll stop. When he was reviled, verse 23, reviled. Have you ever been reviled? I've been reviled a few times. But I'm sure he was reviled all the time. Did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten like a lot of slaves did, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. This is the key here. Committed himself to him, that is God the Father, who judges righteously. When will that judgment come? When will that righteous judgment be made? I'm afraid we have to wait for it, you see. We have to be patient. I hate being patient, okay? I mean, I'll be patient for a while and then I run out of patience. It's like this running out of gas, you know. It's okay while I've got it, but then I run out of it. Well, you know what? You have to refill the tank yourself. Drawing from God, drawing from his promises, his words to you. On the truth that he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. One day then, the one who says it is commendable for you to take it. It's commendable in this rotten world to have the right attitude and outlook. For God's sake, he will judge righteously in your favor one day. Because he's seen, he's noted every tear, he's noted every frustration, every wrong. It's not disappeared into the, into uh, tomorrow, uh, sorry, into yesterday. It will be brought up again in the future. And if you have responded, if I've responded in the right way, then we will be rewarded by the God who judges righteously. So all of the unfairness, it will be corrected. As long as you've done, you've taken it patiently for Christ's sake. Just like Jesus did. He took it patiently. Verse 24, therefore, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The climax of the career of the man of sorrows was the crucifixion. That we, having died to sins, died to sins because we believed in Jesus, died to sins and therefore the 
condemnation for those sins because we trusted in the one, the servant that God has sent. That we might live for righteousness in an unrighteous world. So when you think that you are being mistreated, and maybe you are being mistreated by your husband, by your wife or kids, by your parents, or by uh, your extended family, by your bosses at work, people at school, when this is happening, respond righteously, live righteously before them. Because God sees. This was the message to slaves. Folks, the Bible is a realistic book. And sometimes it's much more realistic than we want it to be. Here we are in the West. Okay? We've had the benefits of a Christian worldview that has brought us to the situations that we enjoy and we take for granted today. But folks... That has not been the case and is not the case for the majority of Christians throughout history or in the world today. How pathetic it is, here I go, how pathetic it is that Christians who already in the West have it good, okay, want to make it even better by not facing reality not wanting to listen and learn about what God says about living in this world and instead will believe false teachers and false teaching about your best life now, for example. God wants all of these things for you, has all of these great things for you right now. You couldn't preach that to a slave in the first century. What kind of a person would you be if you did that? You couldn't have the compassion of Christ and teach that to a slave. And yet it seems to be accepted today. Let's get, let's get our head in the Bible, shall we? Let's get the context in which we should be living our lives. Let's face reality. And interpret the Bible on that basis. And these health and wealth preachers and teachers, they have to face God. Just make sure you don't face God with them because you believe their teaching, their lies. By whose stripes, verse 24, you were healed. These these slaves, they've been healed. They have to endure difficulty in their lives, but they've been healed. Now, these slaves, all of these Christian slaves who Peter wrote to 2,000 years ago, they've been in heaven for nearly 2,000 years. They're healed. They could testify to you of the rightness of what Peter is saying because of what they experience and have experienced for 2,000 years. 
There's a context. There's a perspective. But it costs Jesus everything in order to deliver them, in order to give them that hope and to give you that hope this morning. So verse 25 in conclusion here says, For you were like sheep going astray. That's what I was like before I was a Christian. That's what you were like too. But have now returned, and the idea of of the word returned in this context is to just turn to. Because sheep are supposed to return, yes? To the shepherd and overseer of what? Your souls. Your body, your soul, you. Your whole person. There is a shepherd. There is an overseer, a bishop. One who is charged to watch over you and look after you. Do you believe that? Even in the difficulty of your present circumstances. Then live righteously, live patiently, live prayerfully, because maybe in doing that, in witnessing that way, God can change your circumstances somewhat by changing that person. That happens all the time. This has been, and the the next week and the week after, these are going to be hard sermons to listen to. Next week, some of you, especially uh, you females, you know what's coming up. You know what I'm going to be preaching on next week. You need to show up, though, okay? Because the Word of God addresses these things. And it addresses the reality in which we have to live out our lives. But knowing, knowing this, being absolutely certain of this, that it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it when God commends you for the way you've lived. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to start by praying for those that are in slavery today, especially those who are believers. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them your grace, give them your blessing, free those that can be freed. We pray that you bless their witness and give them your joy, which is supernatural. Give them your peace. Give them hope. For ourselves, Father, who have uh, imbibed so much of the devil's lies because uh, we think that we have uh, rights here that are uh, just given to us from the the fact that we uh, live in the West, Lord, help us to face the reality of our situations and deal with them in faith. Let us always, Lord, for conscience' sake, serve you in the situation in which you have us. Not looking at other people and their situations, God will reward them or not reward them in accordance with the amount of faith that is needed for them to live in this world. But Father, let us always look to you for our uh, situations, for the grace that we need for today. 
And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.